0: Pastor Xavier Reese illustrates a change of heart that comes with the simple truth of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 7, for
1: godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. The sorrow of the world is regret, remorse, not repentance. If any man's in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, everything becomes new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. What a change. What an incredible miracle when a person is
0: born again. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It goes without saying that resolving a conflict among two disagreeing parties can sometimes be delicate, even tricky, when coming from opposite points of view. But in such a test of faith between followers of Christ, does brotherly love really work? Well, the Apostle Paul has no doubt, as we're seeing with his appeal in a very personal letter to Philemon, offering himself as an example, Paul teaches that the love and forgiveness of Christ is what will see us through every time. Let's listen now to Pastor Xavier continuing a verse-by-verse simple truth study of the book of Philemon, picking up in verse 8 today. Paul has
1: um, opened up his letter to Philemon with a loving greeting. Now begins to make his intercession for Onesimus here by pleading humbly with Philemon. Verses 8 to 14 is one complete sentence. We're going to look at verse 8 through 11. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such as one as Paul the aged. And now also, prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who I have begotten while in my chains who once was unprofitable to you but now is profitable to you and to me. The perspective of Paul regarding this plea to Philemon here is characterized by three things. First, verse 8 and 9, the apostle Paul refused to use personal authority. Secondly, verse 10, the apostle Paul requested sensing personal responsibility for Onesimus and then in verse 11 the apostle Paul related his personal perspective notice um, Paul made his appeal to Philemon based on Philemon's love reputation that he has just finished praising him for he says therefore though I might be more bold in Christ to command you what is fitting That word, therefore, relates back to what he has just spoken about from verse 4 to 7. On account of that I know that you're a very gracious and loving person, that you have such an incredible reputation, on this basis I am making my appeal to an extent. Yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such as one as Paul the age and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ." Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. Not only has he been a witness of this, but for the, he's just appealing for love's sake, for Christian love. The nature of this love was divine agape. The very heart and motive of God for the forgiveness and rescuing of all sinners. This is two Christians talking. Paul is old but still in the service of Jesus, a prisoner, doing the work of God. Secondly, notice in verse 10, the Apostle Paul requests a sensing personal responsibility for Onesimus. The Apostle's appeal to Philemon, again, is out of love. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. It's a love relationship between these two men. Out of the principle of love, now a love relationship. The pronoun you identifies Philemon. He's the master of Onesimus. He owns Onesimus. He was wronged by Onesimus. And he probably thought Onesimus could not become a Christian. The son Onesimus was dependent on Paul as a father. And the word son there, means simply... An offspring. Paul uses this word many, many times in the scriptures. A spiritual son metaphorically here. Spiritual relationship. Though he belongs to Onesimus as a slave, he belongs to him as a son. Now notice Paul appealed to Philemon out of a spiritual transformation and spiritual concern. Whom I have begotten while in my chains the person addressed by the pronoun whom refers to Onesimus. He's guilty of stealing from his master Philemon. He was guilty of running away from Colossae. He has made his way to Rome, and he was liable to be punished severely, even to be put to death under Roman law. He's not in a good situation. Yet the person Onesimus has been born again. Philemon has a dilemma now. (laughs) The details of how Onesimus came to be with Paul is not given to us. Whatever the occasion, Onesimus heard the gospel from Paul and led Onesimus to Christ. The runaway slave Onesimus had been born again. The Bible tells us that every person born again Is in the family of God. This is despite whatever kind of life they have lived prior to Christ. The love of God for each of us and for others should be without respect. The love of God is to be the distinguishing mark of the Christian and the church. John 13, 34, 35. By this shall I know that you are my disciples, you have love one for another. The love of God is the more excellent way. Paul deals with in First Corinthians thirteen one through eight by speaking tongues of angels and can prophesy and whatever. It's I, I'm nothing if I have not love. Makes no difference. Paul, the apostle, rebuked the Corinthians for going to pagan tribunals to settle problems between believers in First Corinthians six one through six. Listen carefully. Are there any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that saints will judge the world? And if the world be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest of matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you are have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life... Do you appoint those who are least esteemed of the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brother, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers? Welcome to the church of Laodicea. Interesting. Now, is there a legitimate time for a believer to take someone to court? Yes. If you have taken the biblical steps to try to resolve the matter between Christians, particularly in matters of business, and there is no acknowledgement of the wrong, then you need to pray, and God may tell you to just let it go. But then God may say, go. Because if he's not honoring what he did and God doesn't give you a check, then you treat him like a publican, like a non-believer. But that's your decision. It's not a formula. You understand? God will tell one person, let the $10,000 go. And God will tell the other person, go get your $2,000. Why? God's God. He rules your life. Hmm. The problem is that too many Christians are carnal, worldly-minded, and are greedy for money. Listen to um, 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Nothing new. The goal of any confrontation is always restoration, not mere castigation. The confrontation is to point out the wrong and for it to be acknowledged and the person to repent. The reconciliation of any two people must be in view that due to genuine repentance, God has forgiven you and I for every sin and so likewise we are to forgive one another in the very same way Colossians 3 12-15 therefore as the elect of God holy and beloved put on tender mercies kindness humility meekness long suffering bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another even as Christ forgave you there's the application so you must do not an option you must do but above all, these things put on agape, which is the bond of perfection, what holds everything together, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also are called in one body, and be thankful. Very few people are willing to do this verse when they're called to do this. As long as everything's nice in Christianity, we're brothers. <laughs> but when it comes to Being like Christ, well, that's a whole different matter, isn't it? Now, this is not to say that when there is a criminal or civil act or deed committed, that there is not to be a legal action against a person. So let's understand that. Paul, by law, had no right to hold Onesimus, and he wasn't going to try to. We're going to see as we move on but he's dealing with a brother. If it can be resolved this way for the benefit of the glory of God and the benefit of the individuals repented, then that's the way to go, right? The Bible tells us to forgive sins. The sins against us, the sins against others, and never to mention them again or make them public. But we certainly are not to conceal sin that is hurting others. That is unrepentant. You understand? Listen to 1 Peter 4, 8. Peter puts it this way. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. That means when there's genuine repentance and things are taking care of the consequences that we're supposed to. But you don't conceal sin when it's hurting and damaging others. You do not do that. Not for your wife, not for your husband, not for your children, not for your pastor. No one. The apostle Paul requested sensing personal responsibility for an SMS, spiritual birth. Notice third and last and 11. The apostle Paul related his personal perspective. Watch where he goes. Notice the apostle Paul reminds Philemon of the former life of Onesimus, one who once was unprofitable to you. The pronoun who is to Onesimus. refers back to him. He's the focus of the letter. He is the passionate interest of Paul here. And this man as a slave was supposed to have been a prophet in terms of gain, not predictive, to bring profit to Philemon. But instead he became unprofitable Bad investment. Onesimus was supposed to have been uh, profiting Philemon. He's the owner. He bought him to work. At one time, he was bought. And by the word here, once, is indicative of his past life. But notice Philemon had paid money for Onesimus. And he had, in turn, cost Philemon Even more money. Here's reality. What do I do as a Christian now? (laughs) He had stolen money and materials of value probably. Verse 18 tells us. And he had run away. Being Philemon's property. Philemon has certain rights under the law. The apostles interceding now that he's born again. And so notice there in 11, the Apostle Paul reminded by Lehman of the present life of Onesimus now. But now it's profitable to you and to me. The Apostle pointed out the obvious contrast of Onesimus' life that cannot be missed. The word but is a contrasting conjunction. Once is in contrast to now. The miracle that brought that change was his new birth repenting from his sins because he asked Jesus Christ to forgive him he did not change outwardly in appearance yet his outward countenance I'm sure had changed his appearance not sensing guilt, shame or fear of even being caught they had bounty hunters in those days (laughs) who chased slaves he now had a new heart, a new mind, a new nature in order to live no longer as a slave of sin. And so the apostle pointed out the personal benefit to both of them regarding Onesimus' new life. Paul declares, "Is probable to you and to me. This is what God does. He takes useless things and makes them useful. Your pastor is the best example. The name Onesimus means profitable or useful. He was a contradiction to his own name before Christ. I was a contradiction creating the image of God. But I was not living like that. The useful benefit would be not only to Philemon, but notice Paul says himself, Onesimus would return to Philemon and begin to serve him faithfully and lovingly in Christ. Onesimus would also begin to serve Paul in any way that he could for the cause of Christ. A woman was born in 1740 named Ada Take. True to her name, she took everything there was to be had in the way of liberties and license she died a confirmed drunkard and altogether she had 700 descendants among them a hundred children born out of wedlock 181 women of the street 142 beggars 46 workhouse inmates and 66 criminals this woman cost the country an estimated 1,200,000 quite a lady the contrast between the old life of sin before Christ and the new life after Christ is as opposite as darkness and light. Man is depraved and has the capacity for the worst of sins, acts, and deeds, and thoughts. Romans chapter 1 from verse 18 down to 32. We're told that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness due to the rejection and corruption of God and His creation, even to perverting the natural use of the woman and the man. Interesting. Man cannot live right apart from God. The more laws he has, the more rebellious he becomes. When you rule by God, you rule by love. Love submits. Law causes me to rebel. Don't touch wet paint. What do you do with it? You touch the stinking paint. As non believers, there is that rebellious heart. Law provokes us. Romans 7 8 says, But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Though a person may be moral and live ethically, in their heart they fail. Romans 2 1 says, Therefore, you are inexcusable, man, whoever you are, who you judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge, Practice the same thing in your heart, in your mind. Jesus said, he who looks upon a woman with us, he's committed adultery already, right? The problem is the heart. The drastic change comes through repentance. Paul, 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10 says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry of godly manner that you might suffer loss from us and nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. The sorrow of the world is regret, remorse, not repentance. You're you're sad about the consequences. You got busted. You got to pay the fine. You're pregnant. Your life's interrupted. Not that you sinned against God. What an incredible miracle when a person is born again. What a change. Uh, therefore, if any man's in Christ Jesus, there's a new, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, everything becomes new. Second Corinthians five seventeen, Paul tells the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites nor thieves, nor covetous, drunkards, or revilers, or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Whoa. What a difference the new birth makes. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Think about how unprofitable you were and I before Christ and how much more Profit you are now to others and yourself. Each person that is not living for Jesus is very, very unprofitable. We all stole from our jobs pencils, sodas. We rationalize it, everybody does it. We cheated on our income tax when we could. We violated and dishonored our own bodies and the bodies of others. Alcohol, drugs, sex. That's what we used to be. But now living for Christ, what a profit. You no longer are wasting your money on drugs, alcohol, or cigarettes. You ever think about that? (laughs) And how much profit you are to all around you? You respect your fellow man, his property. Therefore, you don't spray paint his wall or his building. You don't key his car because he parked too close to you. Yeah, your pastor needs to be there (laughs) or customize his windshield. You are such great profit to the state, to your neighborhood, to yourself, and to others now in Christ. You understand? You save property owners, city, state, and federal government a lot of money being born again. And they don't even know it. The apostle Paul related his personal perspective of the prophet of Onesimus. Kind of amazing, huh? This is Paul the apostle pleading an intercession for Onesimus humbly to Philemon. Evident of the perspective here of Paul, characterized by these three things. The apostle Paul refused to use personal authority To make Philemon compliant for Onesimus, but appeal for the sake of love. That was his appeal. Apostle Paul requested sensing personal responsibility for Onesimus' spiritual birth. He couldn't just let him go. (laughs) The Apostle Paul related his personal perspective of the prophet of Onesimus one step at a time. One bite at a time, Paul will bring Onesimus all the way home to Colossae. What an incredible
0: loving intercessor. Pastor Xavier Rees, drawing out important simple truths using the New Testament book of Philemon as encouragement for building up the body of Christ. Now, just before we close, let me mention that copies of today's Simple Truths message, titled Paul's Tender Intercession for Onesimus, are available for only $4 on CD. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is simply Paul's Tender Intercession for Onesimus. Or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths.